1: you're listening to battle red radio i'm matt weston and tonight tonight i'm joined by carlos flores and joe critz how are you fellas doing tonight
0: i'm doing okay i'm I'm not not really good anymore but okay i guess
2: (laughs) i'm uh personally recovering from a little bit of shell shock but uh you know hopping on anyways and talking to y'all
1: yeah it's kind of something i've learned about you're know, writing about the Texans and you know, football in general, but mainly the Texans is that I don't have any hope or expectations. Just let everything be a surprise because as soon as you do, you kind of realize like, oh yeah, this is the Houston Texans. And this is what they do. And last night, whenever I talked to BFD for the preview, like I kind of, like, I nailed a prediction. Just, I felt like Houston would fall down behind. They'd score some garbage time points, make it closer than they did. And they did that, but it was even like a worse game than even I thought it would be. And I think even BFD thought it would be, after, um, kind of talking about this, this game last night. So like after all summer, all we heard about was how, you know, by game of DeAndre Hopkins, the Texans would be better off an offense because they would have eight different guys they can throw the ball to. Uh, they would run like a more vertical offense that would be based around Deshaun Watson's ability to throw the ball downfield. And all this sound like really good and beautiful. And I could like see the skeleton of the offense as far as just like, you know, the vertical ability that they had and how it would open up the middle of the field. And then tonight happened. And the Texans had one drive in the first half. That their second drive of the game, they scored seven points, gave them a seven-zero lead. It was nine plays, eighty yards, went for five minutes and twelve seconds. They also had another drive that uh, went into the Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs side of the field, where Kymer Fairbairn missed a fifty-one-yard field goal, and after that, they didn't score until the fourth quarter. And Houston fell behind um, thirty. They fell behind thirty-one to seven in this game. And so, like, they had two pretty drives. That first touchdown drive was actually like legitimately like really fun and it kind of felt like I was watching the New England Patriots in that drive too um so Carlos like with the fact they they did score you know 20 points in parentheses but uh with the fact they only scored seven points until the fourth quarter like do you think this is a case of Houston like having to make changes in offense and not having a preseason that hurt them or is this uh like a legitimate concern in moving forward throughout the season that you know, like even with the new additions, um, you know, it may take six weeks for it to go.ing And maybe this offense might not be, you know, good enough to make up for the defense at all this year.
2: So I do personally think that this offense is going to take some time to gel. I knew it wasn't just going to come out, you know, as its final form on day one. Um, I did expect defenses to be a little off today. Um, And it did provide for a lot of points today. I know my prediction was somewhere in the realm of like, I don't know, 70 or just cracking 80. So we're in that realm. It just went a little bit differently than I thought. Um, So I think that this offense is not really affected too much by the lack of a training camp. Um, Aaron Rodgers had mentioned on Pat McAfee's show um, earlier today or yesterday that uh, offenses and defenses around the league shouldn't have been too affected by the lack of a training camp that many of the veterans are just, you know, already keyed in on what's going on. And I know like we, we have a new defensive coordinator, we have a new offensive coordinator. And so there's definitely some uh, new things being added into the mix. But I think what we've seen here is that the personnel that we've brought in to create this offense maybe isn't exactly what one we were hoping for and two it's not exactly fair to say that um you know they're 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 failing out of the gate because Brandon Cooks wasn't 100% today um he had trouble separating uh especially against um against Snead uh he had a really tight contested catch and you know for a vertical threat he really didn't put too many uh too much distance between him and his uh his defender and also um, you know, I think it's gonna take some time for everybody to get up to 100 percent for them to work out some of the kinks, and uh, they'll have some film to chew on to uh, make adjustments. However, I do think you're pretty much on the mark that it's gonna take a few games to gel and get this thing on the on on the right page. I'm thinking, you know, probably game three we'll see this thing really start clicking. I don't think we'll be ready in time for the Ravens, um, but. You know, that, that's kind of how I'm feeling about it, is that it's not really a f- complete failure out of the gate. But it definitely wasn't um, it wasn't the final product what was put out there today.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think I think kind of I don't really don't buy all I mean, they, they don't play that much in preseason to begin with anymore. And so like, they're still practicing. They're still going through everything, putting together their offense. So like I'm not kind of like I can understand it, but um, I'm not really buying all that. And also it's not like Houston's made a dramatic change in offense. They have the same offensive line. They have like you know 50% of the same backfield, and they brought in Randall Cobb and Brandon Cooks, and everything else here's the same. And really, I think the issue for Houston's offense isn't that they have all these new pieces having to put together; it's how they're going to get by without having DeAndre Hopkins anymore. And so like that's what they're having to work out. They're having to work out departure, not work out these new additions to get them going together on the field too. Um, but yeah, like it was it was rough on offense tonight. Um Joe, what do you what did you think about the Texans offense? Like kind like overall it's a macro picture and like do you think this is just something that they'll be able to put together, you know, pretty quickly, or is this gonna be or is this gonna take longer than maybe you initially thought?
0: Um I think it's gonna take I th- I think it's gonna take a few a few weeks, like Carlos said. Um, and that's frightening enough for me because we have a gauntlet of a first month to two months of of football. And I don't think we have the luxury to to be a little bit rickety on the offense when our defense is this bad. We're not going to be able to even compete with the Ravens, Steelers, Vikings, or even Titans if this offense is this ineffective. If the only strong part of our offense is David Johnson, we can't be expected to be entering the bye week with more than two wins, and that's you know, awful. It's I can only expect I can only hope that it would improve dramatically either uh, against Baltimore or the week after that. And Watson is launching it downfield to a healthy Brandon Cooks, and Fuller is continuously putting up a hundred yard games, uh, but for how infrequently they even dared to launch the ball downfield uh, makes me nervous at their confidence in doing it. They only threw the ball downfield a handful of times, and the Chiefs have a underrated uh, defensive backfield, especially with Tyron Matthew and Juan Thornhill back there. I can understand being nervous throwing the ball more than 20 yards downfield. But when you're down as much as they were in the third quarter and they still didn't try it much, that's that's scary. That's really yeah. scary because it's only going to get harder from here.
1: Yeah, and I mean, Kansas City had the fourth best pass defense DBA last year. And like you mentioned, like Matthew and Thornhill are really good at those spots. But I mean, kind of like that was kind of the problem, though, for this team going this year is they did invest into the defense. Their pass defense was awful last year. I think mean, it just kind of seemed like J.J. Watt's healthy. Uh, it should be good enough, but, you know, it takes a little bit more than that whenever you're playing against teams like, you know, Kansas City and Baltimore and the best teams in the AFC. And, like, my issue with the deep passing stuff is that, like, there are shots where they try to win some go routes. Will Fuller dropped one. That was a tough back shoulder catch. Your brand cooks didn't get separation. He's hurt. And, like, you know, he's been healthy throughout his career, but, you know, he's, like, 28 now. He has the concussion issues, and it's a guy who relies on speed. So any, like, lower body injuries at, like, a, at his ten frame is going to completely remove his game because you, know, Carlos mentioned he had that one favor out. He's not able to make an impact at the catch point because he's five foot ten, you know. And so without having that that top speed to create the separation needed to sit under passes, um, like his game like really doesn't exist at all anymore with any sort of lower body injury where he's not 100% at all either. And so like whenever the the way the pass defense is set up, they can't like not have a great vertical passing attack to be able to score points in chunks because they are going to fall behind at times. And so this is what they put out there. Um, it's going to be, you know, rough in the in the early going. Uh, we had a question from at J K Miami 89 uh, our, our good friend Jessica. And Carlos, she asked, Deshaun clearly thrives in a tempo attacking offense. So why do the Texans always wait until they're down two plus scores to play this way?
2: You know, as far as Bill O'Brien is concerned, that's how it's, always been i mean she is dead on with that assessment um it's it really does seem like they come out with the game plan of we're going to shove the ball up the middle we're gonna you know play conservatively they're going to follow the script and as soon as they get off it's always a slow start with the texans and you really wonder why it's because they always come out with the same idea of um you know establish the run establish the run run up the middle um little dink and dunk passes here and there and with the lack of you know deandre hopkins to move the chains on third down um that's only going to get even harder And it seems like when they get off to these slow starts and they get put in a hole or they see that it's really not working they open up the playbook and you start seeing uh the offense get spread out a little bit more you start seeing Deshaun in the shotgun uh you start seeing empty sets i mean it really it's a completely different complexion is what the offense has uh once the uh once those first couple of drives are over and they're in a hole they open up and then once they get back into the game they revert back to the original game plan it's never made any sense to me Bill O'Brien's never done anything different i i can't fathom why he's stuck with it all this time to that same script of, you know, I, I mean, for example, like in the fourth quarter of tonight's game, you, they were huddling. They were still running the ball up the middle. I mean, they were still taking little chunk yardage on, you know, gut runs. And it's like we're down over to like two scores over two scores. And we're a little over halfway through the fourth quarter. The playbook has to be opened up. Why are we still trying to run the ball? Why are we still trying to establish? Like, abandon the run. And that's just something that I think Bill O'Brien is fully incapable of doing. And I really do think like it was kind of a joke, you know, with Bill O'Brien seeing Tim Kelly have fun and he decided to take the playbook or the responsibilities back. And I really do think that it's just a, a symptom of him, his coaching ideology. And, you know, it's probably a key trait of his coaching tree, you know, with Tim Kelly.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, I do think, like, they were pretty spread out, and they did a lot of empty backfields, a lot of five. They didn't, like, do the true five wide receiver sets. They are still tight in out there. But they are a lot more spread out than heavy, um, like they typically were. But, like, the tempo was the big difference, though, like Jessica mentioned, where it's, like, they were spread out this game, which is a lot different than last year, where they had, you know, two tight end sets, and uh, and they gave Carlos High a bunch of carries. Like, at least this game, they were spread out and, you know, more empty sets, more shotgun. But again, like the pace, like she mentioned, like it just, the offense continuously to drag and drag and drag and instead of quickly get up to the ball. And I think that's one of, you know, like this is the closest I think this team has ever looked to being the New England Patriots, just like, you know, aesthetically and from the way the formations they were th- that they used and how spread out they were. But one of the key things about those Patriots offenses whenever Brady was around was how quick it was and how te- how fast the tempo was. And um, I know this is always something that Diar Chris loves to talk about is how slow, you know, the Texans are Bill O'Brien, especially whenever they're down, or they're down by 21 points and, you know, they're wobbling up to the last scrimmage and taking their time and everything else. Um, so, like, Joe, did you expect this offense to, you know, look differently going into this year? Or was this kind of like, you know, your assumption knowing everything you know about this football team?
0: I was absolutely thinking it was going to change this year. I thought signing Randall Cobb, trading for Brandon Cooks was a statement to, Texans fan base that they were done with the Patriots style dink and dunk offense and they're taking advantage of Deshaun Watson's noted talent at launching the ball downfield and going all out with a passing attack. That's what I I thought getting those two wide receivers was them saying they're ready to try something new out. And th- this game was, was a sign that no, they are not they do not want to move on and They want to give Deshaun weapons, but they didn't want to construct an offense around his strength. So they're doing this, like, give me a little bit of this, give me a little bit of that. And they're not willing to fully invest in their quarterback in order to win games. I don't know if that's a sign of a lack of trust in Watson, if that's a belief that the Patriot way will always work. And we're going to jam it down our offense's throat until it works. But I was expecting I was expecting almost something, you know, West Coast style, and it was just not there. It wasn't there. And these receivers are not built for an offense like this. Randall Cobb is David Johnson is. But with players like Kenny Stills, Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks, Mm -hmm. players like that are asking to be put into an offensive system that takes advantage of long developing routes. And a complicated West Coast style offense, and Deshaun Watson is built for an offense like that. And they continue to just, just not do it. They just, they just don't want to do it. They just want to stick to what they've been doing, and that's extremely disappointing.
1: Yeah, and, it, and I think it's a great point. Like it, it like Stills Fuller and Cooks are built for you know more of a vertical thing where their speed crazy open throws, and like the only play that kind of saw where like, like, kind of gave me sort of hope of, like, what, you know, hopkins offense offense looks like was that fourth and eight conversion where you have Fuller run that quick out against off-man coverage. And, like, that's what Speed creates. But Speed didn't create any kind of deep vertical routes at all this game. And, like, I, and it was kind of surprising, too, to see Kansas City, you know, play with – sometimes they played cover zero. They never really played two safety deep all that often. They had, you know, them in man versus coverage on the outside. And, like, Cooks and Fuller just didn't do a good enough job to beat, the, beat those uh, – be those matchups, you know, tonight and that's typically what you would expect from them, you know, especially with uh, a rookie starting his first game in Sneed and like I know Cooks has a lower body injury, but like still like those are matchups that you have to win um if you're gonna be like this, if you're gonna be a team with the pass defense that they have as well too. And so I do think kind of like the key, the biggest thing that I got tonight is that, you know, kinda like what I talked about in Belt all summer was that they're gonna miss DeAndre Hopkins a lot. Like Hopkins did so much exactly. this offense that like, you can, like, if you just even watch the, you know, watch a lot of the deep passes that Fuller caught last year, those are created by the safety driving down DeAndre Hopkins' routes. Um, he was third in the league in first downs created behind Hulu Jones and Michael Thomas. He's a top three receiver. And so without him tonight, Houston went four and 10 on third downs. They didn't have that same first down turning option. And they didn't have a receiver that could win down the sideline. Brandon Cooks had trouble against Snead. You know, Fuller dropped that, that favor out, like we mentioned. And everything was just like really short, middle, and then it seemed like Kansas City played, uh, brought Sorensen in. They kind of sat with those hook zones and kind of took away those quick uh, pick and pop passes that worked well, and that really pretty touchdown drive that they had tonight too. And so, uh, Carlos, our question from Ask Smith Grandma asked, uh, or At Ask Smith Grandma asked in an alternate dimension, where Houston still has DeAndre Hopkins and they signed a pass rusher and a cornerback instead of Cobb and Eric Murray. Do you think the Texans win this game?
2: I think we have a much better chance. Um, yes, I agree with that. Absolutely. I think, uh, it's a much better chance. Uh, we have Hopkins to get those crucial third down conversions and, you know, be that possession receiver. Um, or at least that red zone target. Um, I think with a pass rusher, I mean, geez, Louise, I-, I can't tell you. I mean, outside of the Jacob Martin fastball tonight, um, the Patrick Mahomes looked like he was just having a lovely time, uh, you know, just just throwing out and not a worry in the world. Um, and with an extra corner, that definitely would have helped. It would have helped uh, keep Patrick Mahomes a little bit more honest. And, uh, you know, I think we would have had a significantly better chance of winning this game if that were the ch- if that were the difference. And considering how much money has been invested, you know, into our new additions, um, I think it probably could have gone a really long way.
0: Certainly. I, I absolutely agree. Signing a, a Logan Ryan or that, that defensive end from Minnesota that was just signed by the Cowboys. Ever Griffin. Um, yeah, him. Picking up Griffin and Logan Ryan would have made a world of a di- difference for this defense. Neither of them are exceptional players, but they would have added pressure, helped Watt, helped Roby, Help the entire corners depth. Help Justin Reed. The entire offense would have been so much more well-rounded if just those two players were added. And if you don't sign, if you don't sign Murray or Cooks, you probably have enough cap space to sign both of them because neither of them got very expensive deals this year. Um, so just not signing Cobb and Murray would have made the defense so much better. And I think that speaks to uh, a failure of Bill O'Brien's uh, GM abilities. I was giving him some credit for for signing Cunningham and Watson to good deals in the past couple of weeks, but the the Cobb and Murray signings are, are looking worse and worse now, now that we've seen what that means, because they didn't really, really take advantage of Cobb at all in this game when he could have been a great receiver this game.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think the thing about the Hopkins you know, extension just happened too. It's like Hopkins had three years left on his contract, you know. Like, if Houston kept him around, they didn't even have to give him that extension they just got in Arizona. And, like, Hopkins is better than Randall Cobb and Brandon Cooks combined. And so, like, it really seemed like. And then they did pull in more salary by bringing in David Johnson, and Brandon Cooks, and adding Randall Cobb than they would have if they just kept Hopkins. And even if they did, you give him extension, you add, you know, like five six million dollars to his average contract per year. And again, you still have a better a better player in a better situation than having those players. And and again, this is like you know, week one, this is me kind of speaking based off the fact that you know Cooks was hurt this game. But um the Cobb thing was a lot more, you know, disappointing. And so with Randall Cobb tonight, he didn't have a target until the second half. Um he didn't do really you know, much of anything at all this game. And so one of the things that at Fan I know Carlos, he asks, is Randall Cobb alive? And why did Houston <laughs> even sign Randall Cobb? Anyone said so you have an answer for this at all?
2: I did not even notice Randall Cobb until he had that first catch. I mean, I, I constantly throughout this entire offseason have just forgotten about Randall Cobb. I forgot him in the prediction 53 man predictions ever got him uh in the uh in the season predictions not even as a factor i mean i was looking at the inactives and i thought oh man kiki's out like what are we going to do and you know it's like oh right randall cobb's still there and he didn't even pop up till the second half so you know i i I don't know why it's just i i can't ever seem to remember that he's a part of the squad and even when he did come in it was like okay great timing you know we're in garbage time at this point it's dang near meaningless i mean if this is what we paid randall cobb to come here to do um to me it's already a, a bad a bad look at the signing early on it's, it's terrible it's terrible
0: i mean you you matt you were saying earlier that they were running a new england style offense at the beginning and it was working using david johnson uh Establishing the run, they got their first touchdown on him. They looked great. Well, why not use Randall Cubb as your Edelman? He's essentially a copy of Edelman, but younger and faster. I mean, he's not like he might not have the like agility and the cutting ability and the rapport that Edelman and Brady had. But he's a great receiver for that system, and I'm guessing that's what they were thinking when they brought him in. And I mean, just last year he had. At Dallas, Randall Cobb had 828 yards and three touchdowns. So this is a player that is a very valuable piece to an offense and can can do a lot when he's given the ball. So I don't understand when they were obviously trying to use this New England style of dink and dunk passing that he wasn't just absorbing completions and they just mm-hmm. relied entirely on David Johnson. And when that wasn't working... I don't know. They, they. I, it's almost like they forgot Randall Cobb was there. It really felt like that. It almost felt like they forgot he was on the roster.
1: Yeah, I'm, and I'm interested. to Kind of go back and watch the All Twenty Two and see what was going on with that. And I, I think kind of the problem with, with Cobb is that you know last year in Dallas, and Michael, I mean, with Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper on the outside, you know, they combined for you know two thousand, you know, two like twenty-two hundred yards and fourteen touchdowns last year, and uh, the entire middle of the field was open for Cobb. You know. And if you like you look at his catches last year, there's a lot of wide open drags, a lot of wide open posts, um, a lot of wide open digs where you know he would just beat press coverage and make one break inside and you know he's open his easy yards after the catch. And a lot of that was created because of the wide receiver talent they had on the outside. And so like the the biggest concern I have, you know, for week one, and you know, it's not it's trying to be like an emergency sort of thing, but like whenever Fuller and Cooks aren't fully healthy. And able to win on those go routes on the field and open up the middle of the field. Like, I don't see how this offense works very well at all. And so I kind of think that was happening in this game where, like, you know, Cobb had so many easy matchups last year in Dallas, and uh, he needs those same sort of matchups in Houston to be you know, successful. And I think one of the biggest draws for him is that he's a veteran. He can understand the playbook quickly. We can count on him to run the right routes, the issues that they've had with, you know, Kiki Cutie before and um, other slot receivers. That was, you know, like Braxton Miller. Like, that was, like, the big draw for Cobb to be in this offense. But whenever they don't have the outside receivers working really well, then that kind of negates that as well, too. Um, The second thing that really kind of was upsetting about this offense was that Watson was sacked four times and hit seven times. And, I look, I know some of those hits in the second half for him trying to make something out of nothing, like that one spin out where he, you know, was swirling around and he thought he could, was going to throw the ball downfield and then just ran out of bounds. Um, but, like, the offensive line still had problems with, with a few of their 1 versus 1 matchups tonight too. So, Joe, did you see the offense line struggling in pass protection or is this a case of Watson, you know, holding the ball and trying to make something out of nothing and then not being able to create anything tonight?
0: I think it was um I think it was a mixture. I think it was a mixture of Watson trying to play hero ball and the offensive line getting dominated by the Chiefs defensive line. Um I am more disappointed in the offensive line's ability to pass to protect because this offense needs them to be good this offense that wants to establish the run uh use Randall Cobb and David Don- Johnson in the passing game and use Cooks Fuller and Stills in deep passing games to stretch out uh the backfield I mean you need you need time in the pocket and Watson needs time and the comfort knowing that he's not going to get sacked if he stays there for more than 2 seconds. He shouldn't be worried about scrambling and immediately going to his dump off read within 2 seconds because he needs those long developing routes to happen for this offense to work. So the offensive line being as bad as they were, and don't get me wrong, the Kansas City defensive line is great, but this is this is if the Texans want to win the Super Bowl, if they want to go as far as they want to go in the playoffs, they need, to, they need to be perfect against teams like this because you know we're going to face the Chiefs again in the playoffs. So if if we want to win against these Chiefs, we need this offensive line to hold them to under one sack or or, you know, under two sacks in a game and under three or four pressures if we want our offense to function at full speed. So extremely disappointing. I can only hope that it's just them being rusty and that they'll improve for next league where we'll even face an even harder defensive line in Baltimore.
1: Yeah. And I I do think like the two match the two issues I saw was Zach Fulton can block Chris Jones and Chris Jones wasn't there in that second matchup in the playoffs because he was hurt. Um, And the second thing was, you know, Frank Clark was ready right away this year. Last year that first it took him like, you know, nine or 10 weeks to get going last year in Kansas city. He had a really great game in the divisional matchup You know, beating both Chris Clark and beating Larry Tunsil, too, as well. And tonight, like, he really got ties Howard good on a few of his reps. And he even won against Larry Tunsil a few times, too. And, like, Howard, even going back to his rookie year, he failed consistently time and time again to meet defensive ends at the point of attack. So he would take two steps and then turn all the way to him. And now you're giving up the inside move. And now the rusher, if he has the ability to bend, like Clark has... Now you can bend around that and I get flat really quickly because he can't get his hands on you. And so Howard was still doing that this game and he got away with it his rookie year because he's so big and wide and strong that um ended up being okay here and there and often enough. And then he plays your ball sheer and Watson gets crushed, but he makes enough plays to to not take he gets the ball quick enough for not to be a sack that bothers them. But I don't think Howard has good had as good as a rookie year as kind of like the narrative was for it. So those were the two issues I saw for the offensive line and like they can't do that. Like they need to win their one versus one matchups, and um, I don't think I think they did much better job this time around picking up the blitz than they did last year. But those matchups, like losing like that, were disappointing, especially when it's the offensive line that has that has you know I, it's hard to remember. They had three first round picks, uh, three second round picks, and then Fulton's contract I think is like 11 million dollars this year, and uh, so they have that much investment into it, and like you would assume that they would be able to win these one versus one matchups and also just kind of be a better run blocking unit too um, in the second half and like the second quarter of this game to create some more open runs and be able to kind of maul um, a Kansas City's linebacker group. That's not very good as well too. Uh, Carlos, what did you see at the pass protection tonight?
2: So for me, I think it was, uh, you know, a combination of both of Watson holding the ball. Uh, you saw him, especially towards the later part of the game, Um, really struggling going through his, um, he was going through his progressions, trying to find something, you know, a big play, uh, large chunk plays. I mean, to try to get us back in the game and Chris Jones did his job. Frank Clark did his job. They, they put on a lot of pressure and I think you were dead on, you know, there was a little bit issue uh, of an issue picking up blitzes. And I mean, Deshaun was just, you know, running for his life on some plays and, um, you know, Deshaun does what Deshaun does. He'll exit the pocket sometimes and try to look for a way to tuck it and get some extra yards. And, you know, he's kind of on his own at that point. But there were a couple of times where I saw Laramie Tunsil just kind of, you know, disengage with his uh, with his defender. You know, the yeah, second. He loves that,
1: that.
2: Yeah. Disengage the second that somebody moves off. And, you know, there's a sense that Deshaun's moving out of the pocket. He just completely lets go. And to me, that's a little infuriating considering uh, you know, that that he's a top tackle and that he's getting paid what he's getting paid. And, you know, I I guess he hasn't really had to deal with a mobile quarterback for, but um, this is year, this is year two, you know, we, we shouldn't be seeing that. Um, But I do think that the offensive line did struggle a little bit, but I am not as concerned because I feel like this is the first time we've had cohesiveness as the group uh, at the, at the position in a very, very, very long time. And, you know, I think it's, probably a little bit of rust uh, coming on and, you know, getting hit um, full speed in game one, definitely had some issues. Uh, I just think it's partially just people getting open and, you know, they were doing great at first, getting the ball out of Deshaun's hands quick, uh, finding open receivers. But later on in the game, I really do think he was just holding on a little long, you know, looking for a big chunk play.
1: Yeah. And that kind of goes back to what Joe was saying earlier too, that whenever, you know, with this vertical passing offense, you have to be able to pass block long enough to make these plays happen. And I think it's kind of going the second half. And, like, you know, the first quarter, it was really picking and popping really quick. And I'm excited to go back and watch the film and see how Kansas City changed their coverages after I spent, you know, all summer learning about coverages, uh, just so I could write, like, one article this year, you know. And uh, so, like, I'm kind of interested to see how they kind of switch that up and see if they really did work to take away the middle of the field or not. But, yeah, I mean, like, it's not going to get any easier, though, you know, for them with. With Baltimore coming up and like Calais Campbell against Zach Fulton is horrifying. Uh, Cameron Hayward against Zach Fulton is too. And then like Minnesota's pass rush is weird because they have like four guys who they all, they make some plays here and there, but you can never remember their names. And then you see them like nine weeks later. It's like, oh, yeah, I know who I know Stephen Weatherly, even though he doesn't play there anymore. But they tend to have guys like that there as well, too. Um, but I, you know, you would think it would be a little bit better and it's not going to get easier. And I think the tensile point you mentioned, Carlos is a really important point. Cause like he did that same stuff last year where he just lets go and Watson's running around all on his own. It's like, you're paid, you know, $18 million a year now. And you have to understand that Watson tries to make things out of nothing. Um, the nicest thing I can say about the offense though, is that David Johnson looks a lot better than he did last year in Arizona. Like some of those jump cuts are pretty sweet. Like he was skiing down the slopes here and there, he had 11 carries for 77 yards, including a long of 19. He had one touchdown. That touchdown was really was really pretty because he got some space, cut out wide, torched the linebacker, and uh, kind of walked in and scored from there. And they caught three passes for 32 yards as well. Uh, Joe, what nice things can you say about the offense tonight?
0: Uh, David Johnson. A lot of David Johnson. David Johnson looked fantastic. He looked like his 2016 form, which he did look roughly this good. Very early in the 2019 season, but then he suffered a leg injury and he was bad pretty much the rest of the year. And then they benched him for Kenyon Drake, but he looked like his 2016 form and David Johnson back during that amazing uh, 2016 year relied heavily on his jump cut and on his acceleration. And both of those were on full display, especially in the first half for the Texans. So if he can build on this and he can go game after game with those jump cuts, that speed, and get involved in the passing game, he will be a tremendous player. And I, I'm not going to go as far as say we we won the trade because I mean Hopkins, come on. But he will at least be one of the bet- one of the bright spots of the offense by the end of this year if he can continue.
1: Yeah, he. I mean, he did look a lot better, and uh, you know his 19 video is just like I don't know. It's kind of grotesque because like even that Detroit game. And like week two, he fails to the edge and like stretch his own plays and he'll have his safety in the in the middle of the field, and he can't make him miss. And we really kind of get sucked into tackles. but like, I mean, he looked he looked really different there. I think maybe something happened with him in Arizona, I think, and uh, he just didn't really want to be there. It kind of felt like last season. so it was cool to see that from him. And like if I don't and it's kind of good that he had like eleven carries and and the Duke Johnson, you know, injury is really distressing and we'll see what comes out of that. But like you would only want you you would only want David Johnson to have like fifteen carries a game and have Watson throw the ball maybe thirty five times and then you know whoever the backup running back is to get ten carries and I try to limit how many rushing attempts you have based off what this offense is supposed to be because again, throwing the ball is better than running the ball and whenever you have a bad defense you have to score a lot of points. And uh, the things that they've done before kind of keeps them stuck, even if they go you're know, seven, six from there. Uh, Carlos, what's a, what's a nice thing you can say about the offense.
2: So I hate to, you know, turn this to an echo chamber, but to me, the bright spot was definitely David Johnson. I mean, just early, it was shocking, really shocking to see how he was running the burst. Um, just seeing him, you know, revert back to that 2016 form, at least for a bit. Um, because I was not expecting it at all. Like, even a little bit. I was expecting to see a uh, sluggish DJ, um, you know, probably just trying to get into the groove. But no, he came out of the gates firing. And I know a lot was made about, you know, how swole he got this offseason and how cut he is and all that. But my gosh, he uh, he came out, <laughs> came out angry. He came out hungry. It, it really looked like... Um, you know, some some of those cuts and some of those runs were a little Foster-esque, and it was exciting. Um, but you know, once the once the defense could key in and start crowding the box, and you know, weren't afraid of the so-called vertical threat, um, it definitely made things a lot harder. And you know, didn't definitely didn't get to see enough Duke Johnson this game, and um, whatever limited snaps that he had. But you know, for the most part, I think. David Johnson is the clear bright spot of this game, and um, I kind of do have to apologize for doubting as much as I did going into it. But it is very nice to see, uh, you know, him perform, outperform my expectations for sure.
1: Yeah, I think I, it's kind of the most depressing thing about tonight that David Johnson, with you know seventy-seven yards and a touchdown, um, was the most like the bright spot of tonight's game. Because like again, like a running. Like there's very few running backs who are legitimate game changers, and even like his performance tonight didn't affect the outcome of the game, you know, any little bit at all. And uh, but yeah, I mean, like I agree, and it's gonna be interesting to see like how long he can keep it up because at age 28 and the hits he took in sixteenth and the injuries he's had, um, it's gonna be interesting to see like if he can look this good um, in these flashes like he looked tonight. We had another question from at Houston Diehards, and he asked. Ah, uh, one. Where do nightmares live? I think he's afraid to go sleep tonight. And two, if Tim Kelly took you to a porn theater, would you put out? And uh, we're um, we're rejecting postmodernity in this household, and we're embracing tradition. And this is a porno theater free household, so I would <laughs> not put out if Tim Kelly took me to the the porno theater after tonight. Even if even if they had a great game tonight, it still wouldn't happen. Um, but for the defense, like the Texans were kind of stuck stopping really bizarre Kansas City offense. Like KC broke um, broke up the Alex Smith offense. Like I feel like I was watching the 17 Chiefs or the 15 Chiefs or the 16 Chiefs where they just like run all these screen passes, these quick uh, smoke passes. There's a lot of broken tackles, a lot of speed, and it really looks more like basketball than football. And uh, Kansas City did exactly that. They ran a lot of screen passes, a lot of interior run plays. A lot of route combinations were used to get Travis Kelsey open. Again, like they're spectacular using Tyra Kills to decoy where even if he only has 60 yards, he created you maybe 150 yards of offense for everybody else as well too. But the the really kind of concerning thing though is they did give up 4.9 yards of carry to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and five, or they gave up 5.5 yards of carry to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and 4.9 yards of carry overall. Um, Joe, like since Houston lost D.J. Reader and they had some had a bunch of change in the defensive line. Like, do you think this Texans run defense may be worse than was expected going into this year? Or is this just a case of, like, going against, going up against an offense that stretched the field out? And, uh, you know, it's hard having to tackle somebody like that, especially when you're having to go up against such a tough pa- passing offense.
0: Um, I will certainly give credit to where credit's due to uh, the Chiefs offensive line and Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who uh, completely outclassed the Texans defensive line for almost the entire game. Uh, but when you have a rookie running back in his first game, like beating J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless, like they were like completely below him, that's not an encouraging sign. And even though I didn't expect that much disruption from J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless since the Chiefs offensive line is so good, I was expect I, I wasn't expecting well over a hundred yards from their rookie running back. I mean, they were completely comfortable just running the ball down our throats for nearly the entire first half when they're a past first team. So it's 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 a really discouraging sign. Um, I was hoping for a return to form with Whitney Merciless and JJ Watt, hoping that they could go back to their twenty eighteen like highlight year. Um, but man. It was it was really not good to see a rookie completely torch him like that. Uh, I can only hope that it's a sign of rust, and they, <laughs> I mean they would need to improve for Baltimore. Are you kidding me? Oh man, I can't imagine what what it'll look like against Lamar Jackson, J.K. Dobbins, Mark Ingram. Oh my goodness, they're gonna have to. They're gonna. JJ Watt's gonna have to become an MVP.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, and the Ravens had an all-time great rushing attack last year. The Chiefs had a below-average one. And, and, like, their interior blocking, you know, they have Wiley and Ryder. And it was a lot of fun seeing Kalecki-Ozumeli again. But it's not their tackles or Big Muller's either. And so it was kind of bizarre to see, um, to see like, the lanes that Edwards-Hilaire got. And, like, if he just gets one-versus-one matchups in the whole like, that movie put on McKinney was disgusting. And the movie put on Reed after that was, yeah, absolutely filthy. And how you go take a shower after that run. And um, to see that sort of stuff, like it's, that's kind of the biggest, I mean, that's like one of the things that's hard to deal with, like think about this Houston defense, because the run defense is always really good and it's always there. And last year they dropped to below average number. Watt went out the year before that with clowning on the team, they had an all time great run defense. And so they've constantly lost bodies since then from losing clowning cream Jackson to losing DJ reader this off season. And so they have, they've, t- they've lost more talent. Than they put back into their front seven. And uh, with age and nutrition as well too, like you know, maybe this is the year that they no longer have an above-average um, run defense. And so we had another question from at red underscore d martin, and I'm assuming he he asked how utterly how utterly odd how utterly idiotic this want to be to pass on paying D J Reader twenty million guaranteed in favor of giving round Cobb and Eric Murray twenty eight million guaranteed. And you know, like personally, like I yeah, I love Reader; he's a great run defender. But I think based off what Houston had like they didn't have the ability to pay that much for a purely run-stopping defensive tackle, even though I think he's going to have like six or seven sacks in Cincinnati on a better defensive line. But yeah, the issue is that instead of giving that money to that, you gave the money to a safety play deep middle. Um, It didn't make much of an impact this game, and a wide receiver had three targets this game too. And so it's going to be interesting to see like what they get out of Murray and Cobb because it's not only like if they have a bad game, but it's the opportunity cost of that money should be going somewhere else as well too. Um, Carlos, how uh, how how sick did Kansas City's run game make you tonight?
2: So I may be speaking from a position of extreme bias, but, uh, you know, I was (laughs) deep down. I did want to see Clyde Edwards Hilaire um, make an impact. I knew he would. One, I just had, you know, walking into a great situation with a all time offense. Everybody's going to be thinking past, especially on week one. Um, and not knowing what, you know, he brought to the table, he took advantage. I mean, he just ripped us to shreds and, um, yeah, I I think he's a top, like just off of tonight, it really seems like he is a top tier talented back that, you know, uh, people are jumping a little bit on the gun saying offensive rookie of the year, but, you know, I, I think he'll be in the conversation closer to the end of the year, just by virtue of, you know, the opportunities that open up as a result of being on the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, but, you know, a, a, a aside from appreciating the impressive run uh, runs that he had, it was really, really, really concerning about the Texans' defense. Like you said, um, we've gone from having a fantastic run defense and chipping away at it, sacrificing uh, bodies, letting people walk, um, with the con, with the comfort of knowing, okay, we still have J.J. Watt and we have you know whatever role players here that can fill in, and uh, we're investing other you know in other uh, places on the team, and here we are now with this new look offense that didn't really look so great, um, a secondary that is challenged and uh, had many flaws this game, and we're left with a run defense that was formerly great and now looks suspect and going into this uh uh these next couple of games you know with the ravens it's going to be absolutely terrifying with three-headed monster um and then the steelers you know uh i believe james connor is still there i believe um yeah and- <laughs> it doesn't it
1: doesn't really matter who the running back is the offensive lines good, you know
2: yeah exactly and uh they, they're going to create opportunities for whoever's back there um, so we're going to be facing a lot of, a lot of challenges and especially within the division as well with the Titans offensive line. Um, it's a really, really big question mark and it's almost like you have to wonder if not investing, you know, in the front seven and letting people walk and making those decisions to invest elsewhere on the team is, is, is it worth it? Has it been worth it off of, you know, this one look?
0: Yeah. Makes you wonder if, Bill O'Brien should have tried a little bit harder to get Clowney. But now we've got to deal with him <laughs> twice this year.
1: Oh, I can't. I'm so excited. God Ooh. damn it. I'm so excited to watch Clowney against Houston in week five and in week 17. You can um, murder us. Yeah, it's, it's going to be so much fun. I'm so glad he went there. It was by far the, the most fun place he could have gone. Um, Defensively, so like this is Anthony Weaver's first game. And like I know the, the biggest problem for me with the run defense, though, it's like at least they could stop that. And so they could play off man coverage and focus on the deep pass and like, you know, the the short passing defense last year was one of the worst in the league. But at least they were good at like two different things, you know. And now like after tonight's game, it's like I can't really say that they were you know good at any one thing at all, you know, whatsoever. And uh at least with like the defense Cornell had last year, it was able to get by, you know, enough with in combination of ball control offense to go ten and six and um it you know like Playing Kansas City makes things seem a lot more worse than they actually are. Uh, but you know, the the signs so far are kinda are kinda rough. Um, but since this was Anthony Weaver's first game, I kinda wanna point out a few things that I saw interesting from seeing his defense this year. One was seeing Justin Reed play man coverage, even like on that touchdown that was dropped to by Demarcus Robinson, like Justin Reed predominantly played single high deep last year and then came in on rundowns and cleaned some stuff up like a janitor, and they would flip off and put Gibson there. Um tonight it was Eric Murray playing deep middle, which is really surprising because he didn't do that much of it in Cleveland. He was more of like a, a third safety and didn't have that much of a responsibility. And that was surprising to me. The second thing was seeing JJ Watt line up over the center. And that was really cool to see because like Watt needed to get interior pressure. That's the best spot for him to have success at all. And like he made some run stops and got back there and forced things back inside by playing on the interior. Uh, but didn't do much of anything as a pass rusher down in those spots. And you still kind of see him get out wide against Mitchell, Mitchell Schwartz on those uh, pass rushing opportunities. And none of that really worked at all either. And then the third thing is just like, you know, he played he played a lot off man still. And it kind of goes back to the fact that like, the cornerback talent's awful here. And especially without Gary and Conley, who I think has been overrated by the fan base and don't have like the highest expectations for, but like at least he's average. And, you know, aside from Bradley Roby and I, they didn't have average past him. And uh, I don't really know how much you know Anthony Weaver can do in that sort of situation as well. But Eric Murray being used how he did and using Wad in the interior were the two things that I really picked up on On that were you know, interesting to me. Uh, what about you, Joe? Did you pick up anything on this Anthony Weaver first night of his uh, defense tonight?
0: Um, same, same things as you did. Seeing Justin Reed play main coverage was a surprise using Eric Murray um, as almost like a replacement Justin Reed back there which doesn't make me comfortable but i guess yeah that's, that's a great a, way to put it <laughs> replacement justin reed but that's that's kind of what it is now and i think it's um same with uh putting him under putting jj wonder center there um i think it's a reflection of the changing of uh, the times in the nfl where a, a lot of these defensive coordinators and offensive coordinators are just trying to put their put their best players in position to make a play their entire defense is structured around where are we going to put our impact player and we need to put him in the exact spot that he will make the biggest difference and i think that's exactly what anthony weaver is trying to doing is that he knows that his stars are jj watt and justin reed so he is going to do everything he can every single snap to use them to cause the most disruption and if that means putting jj watt in weird spots and if it means using justin reed to play man coverage who might be our best Man coverage defender, depending, uh, judging off of this game, uh, that that that's how it's going to be, and that doesn't that that makes me uncomfortable since we only have two star players, and I'm afraid that he's going to rely too much on JJ Watt and Justin Reed, and if either of them go down, for even you know a quarter or two, then our defense might completely crater. But with an offense like Kansas City. I can't make too many judgments because of how how perfect their offense was, especially in this game. Uh, so I, I can't I can't judge too much, but I think it's just a sign of knowing where his defense is weak and using his best players in every way he can, essentially mm-hmm. like squeezing them for all they're worth.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it was close cool to see that too because I know Cornell did that in um, that sixteen playoff game against New England or he would put Clowney, Merciless even McKinney of the center and create pressure up the interior. And like, Houston should have won that game if they didn't have Name Daktis as their quarterback, but um, that's a different time and story, but I can't, that game always kind of sits with me. Um, Carlos, did you see? Did you pick up anything out of Anthony Weaver's defense tonight?
2: So, personally, it just felt as a philosophy, uh, more, Ben, more of the same, Ben don't break. Um, in terms of Specifically, schematic stuff. Um, not quite. I did just receive my football outsiders almanac today, the print edition. So I will be <laughs> diving deep in and trying to learn as much as humanly possible so I can identify things on the defense, uh, defensive side of the ball a little bit better. Um, you know, uh, off to me, I, I just always been able to pick up offense a little bit easier than defense. But I mean, for the most part, it just felt a lot more, um, You know, it almost felt a lot like Rack's defense. And I know, like, it makes enough sense that he's being promoted from within. But, uh, you know, the pressure just really wasn't effective tonight. And um, it just seemed like they were getting bullied at one point. And, you know, the run defense did get better as the night went on. Um, But in terms of specific, like, strategic or schematic stuff, I couldn't
1: pick anything Mm -hmm. out. Gotcha. Um, the other thing that like that came back to me was it it did seem like compositionless kind of in the first quarter, where you kind of see guys like you know five guys staying up along the line of scrimmage and nobody really knowing where somebody's coming from, and it seemed like they kind of went away as the as the game went on too. Um, well, the last question I have for you, Joe, is what was more disappointing: Line Johnson Jr. not playing till the fourth quarter, or Randall Cobb not having a target until the second half?
0: Randall Cobb not having a target. In the second half i've kind of given up on lonnie johnson i'll admit that i don't i i have no expectations on his front um i I'd, I'd love to see him turn into something special but i've kind of just given up on him <laughs> which is kind of i don't know it, it hurts to say but i don't know man he just like with with the rookie john reed getting snaps over him like it's it's over it's over <laughs> uh but Randall, I, I, With Randall Cobb, you have expectations. Like, you had expectations that he was going to be used, um, that that the middle of the field was going to be open up for his streaking routes, and that Deshaun Watson was going to dump passes to him and he was going to get a lot of yards after the catch. And especially in, like I said earlier, that New England style offense, he's a perfect fit for that. So there was expectations when signing Randall Cobb and giving him that fat contract and letting DeAndre Hopkins walk instead. So not using him much at all when you were in perfect position too was confusing and disappointing.
1: What about you, Carlos?
2: Same thing. Lonnie Johnson, I can totally understand not playing. Um, With Garyon Conley being on the IR, it definitely made it a little bit more questionable why he didn't play. But at the end of the day, I still get that after last season's performance, I totally understand and no matter how much you know footwork uh, drills he did in the off season, um, that might not make up enough ground for him to warrant playing time so I get that but for Randall Cobb that to me once once I did see him on the field it was like oh my gosh where has he been you know um just a sharp reaction that, For a guy that could arguably, you know, between him and Kenny Stills, could be listed as the number three receiver on this squad to not show up until the uh, second half is deeply concerning. And it almost feels like, are they having trouble scheming him in? Are they like, do they have any doubts? Is there something going on? Um I mean, just why? Why so little playing time? Why wait so long? Did Bill O'Brien forget that he had him on the sideline? Was he just standing there? Did he expect him to go up and ask him to go in? You know, like, so many things. Just, like, why did he not get in there earlier? Um, Especially considering that Stills could have, you know, absolutely come out. And, I mean, even Cooks, too, not being 100%, you would think that Randall Cobb would have even more of a reason to play tonight, but you know, definitely Cobb was the uh, more uh, disappointing thing tonight.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I think with Cobb, too, it kind of, again, I think it really comes down to how good are his outside receivers because he isn't that sort of guy, you know, who, like, I mean, just like in Dallas last year, his, his supposedly, you know, bounce back year, it was a lot of, like, really easy, just really simple routes that he ran through the middle of the open field, you know. And in uh, Dallas, also had a really good pass protecting line where Dak had plenty of time to to wait for him to get open and stuff too. But those quick little juke routes and the stuff that Edelman runs, like Joe Joe mentioned, you know, you didn't really see that whole lot from you know Cobb all last year. I think that's where it came came from. But I think it's kind of funny the way Joe put it, that. Just the fact that Cobb wasn't even used at all and he didn't have a target until the second half makes him you know, by far the most disappointing player. As um, somebody doesn't have didn't have very high expectations for either player this year, like at least like with at least Johnson Jr you know i didn't like his college video i thought he probably needed 2 years to cook to be something but yeah like losing snaps to John Reed and have that being such an important position um, and like getting on the field until the 4th quarter like really like i didn't see him at all on the field until the 4th quarter when Kansas City was in the red zone and uh, that was really like i don't know kind of nauseating because even you know like having even like going from the worst cornerback in the league last year to like you know a bad cornerback would be enormous jump from him and maybe we don't even see him on the field enough to have that but yeah like i wasn't expecting him to even like broach back to um it's not even being competent maybe until year three or so in his league whenever houston drafted him out of kentucky um two years ago as well too so i don't know it, all around it was it was kind of a mess of a game and it doesn't get easier next not this sunday but next sunday on september 20th when houston plays baltimore at uh, at three o'clock i believe so is there anything else do you have any other final thoughts at all, at all joe anything nice that you can say uh as we end tonight's show
0: um well yeah david johnson played great i'm really happy i am absolutely on the hum- humble rumble like high train i am gonna be I'm, I'm 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 like a part of his fan club now um but the the defense also improved uh over the course of the game. And I don't know if that was just, you know, Kansas City, you know, like easing off the gas and just kind of coasting, and that's why the defense did better. But Clyde Edwards-Alaire did have a harder time rushing in the second half. So my hope is, is that that was J.J. Watt, Merciless, and the defensive line legitimately improving, uh, and that will continue into Baltimore. Because if if they can if they can build on that and they can contain – Lamar Jackson and use Bernard McKinney, Zach Cunningham and our, you know, our entire group of linebackers to keep them contained, then I I think it'll, I think it'll be a lot better. I'm just hoping that that one game improvement is not a a blip in the season.
1: Yeah. I kind of looked at that second half improvement as just kind of being like, you know, they're one dimensional and they're trying to go home and Kansas City kind of turned into a sailboat that second half and, like, if Houston came anywhere close to, to catching back up, they'd just would start getting the ball to Travis Kelsey again and pull back away. Um, and I think Baltimore is going to, like, score 41 points on them next week. and Because Houston got worse this offseason. Uh, I don't think this is as good as of a team that they had last year. And I think Baltimore beat them, like, 41-14 last year. So, I don't uh, I have zero expectations again for the following week as well, too. What about you, Carlos? Do you have anything else at all?
2: For me, it's important to just remember that this is week one. It's the first game in a long season. There's definitely a lot of question marks and plenty of reason to scrutinize and to feel down after tonight. But things get better. And ideally, you know, we'll see some of these position groups start to gel a little bit more. Uh, we'll avoid the injury bug. You know, we'll get some of these players back off of IR. Um Something that interested me was Scotty Phillips coming up today and didn't even see a whiff of him. Um, But, you know, looking forward to next week, I think uh, it's going to be a a field day with the Ravens and, you know, we'll, we'll even see how Mark Andrew or Andrews does. Um, And there's a lot of things to be looking forward to in this gauntlet that we're facing. And I think it's just, it's important to remember to take it week by week and just not worry too much. And, I think I'm going to go your route, Matt, and just not set any expectations for uh, next week and just take whatever comes and and work with it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I learned that I think in 14, whenever I convinced myself Matt Schaub was actually hurt instead of him just, like, losing athleticism and being bad, you know, and uh, and being very excited. And then after kind of going through that, you're like, oh, there's actually, like, an objective way you can kind of look at things and figure some things out a little bit more. But you kind of miss like you lose you lose the fandom. And so like the way I've watched this team and think about this team is a lot different than how I did, you know, maybe at the be at maybe at the beginning of last decade than I currently do right now, you know. And I guess that's part of it. It's so, like how you wanna be a fan of a team and how you enjoy the game is up to you. But um, you know, it's just kind of that's kind of really what it what it kinda comes down to. But yeah, I mean I think it was tonight was worse than I thought it was gonna be. I think Kansas City is an absolute awful matchup for Houston. Just because of how good their passing offense is. Um I think the things I think the most frustrating thing though was like even like having an idea and, and seeing the skeleton of what this passing attack could be and like still even you know, I was kind of waiting until I saw it until I actually believed it. Um, even from that like really lukewarm view of it, I was still kind of like couldn't believe how bad it was tonight at times and uh, offensively because they're gonna have to score 31 points, you know, consistently this year because of how bad this pass defense is gonna be. And they didn't do anything to improve it. At all they had Eric Murray, they had Jonathan Green and Russ Blacklock and John Reed. And Greener was inactive. And Blacklock, I don't, I didn't see him out on the field at all tonight. So, um, you know, that's what they did to improve the worst part of this team. And the two things that matter about NFL football, unless you're incredibly great at something like San Francisco and Baltimore running the ball or throwing the ball and stopping the pass, and San Francisco has a great pass defense, Baltimore does too. Kansas City has a top ten one, and Houston failed, I think, to understand that this off season too. But anyways, until next time I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Bell red radio. Thank you for being on tonight, Carlos. And thank you for being on tonight, Joe. I know you haven't been on here yet and I hope you had a good time. You did a great job.
0: Yeah, I did. And I mean, like to, to add something a little bit extra, I hope I'm not going a little overboard. No, no, at all. Uh, it's, uh, you know, you can't, we can't be all doom and gloom and stuff. It's still, you know, it's only week one, like Carlos said. and, it's still the Texans, and it's still Deshaun Watson, and they always make it interesting. It's never it's never a bad season, at least it hasn't been for the past few years with Watson. So things will always be interesting and will never be a completely terrible team. And, hey, like, I can't pretend like I didn't have a good time tonight. Football's back. Like, mm-hmm. football's back, man. Like, I can't, be, I, I can't be too doom and gloom when football's back. Like, I'm just happy that it's here
1: yeah yeah every football game is a is a good thing and especially considering all the circumstances going into this one um as well too and uh and yeah like it's it's always fun it's it's even fun whenever you're watching you know ryan Mallet pal on the sideline and uh and brian hoyer you know not being unable to throw the ball 40 yards down the field it's even fun those moments too <laughs> <laughs> so until next time um we'll have a show probably saturday morning talking you know the overall kind of week one previews as some nfl predictions this year and uh be on the lookout for that as you enjoy your weekend but thanks for being on tonight carlos and thanks for being on tonight joe and i'll talk to you guys soon